Watch who? And welcome to Two Watch Who, a Doctor Who podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Sarah. And I'm a Doctor Who fan. And I'm new to watching Who. Watching for the very first time. Very first time. Mm. There we go. <laughs> I wonder how many times you've actually said that now. I don't know. I've no- And it's been a while. <laughs> it's been a long time. Imagine if you had to pay like £5 to Madonna every time you said oh, that. so poor. I think even a pound would be poor. Anyway, here we are. It's all we're in a white void basically today. Um, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah. Yeah, you've had a cold this week. Yeah. I know that. Yeah, I've been a bit ill, but um, I feel all right now. Now we're here talking about Doctor Who. I feel better. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have any other updates. Oh, apart from. Well, I was going to ask you, have you been watching anything? Um, I'm still watching Ted Lasso. I'm still watching... Actually, I did watch last night uh, the new Anna Nicole Smith documentary on Netflix. Ah, oh, yeah. Okay. I that last night. That's good. I have been watching 2012 Neighbours still. Of course. That's pretty much it. But there is a Doctor Who connection. All right, go on. So two of the writers who um, from that time have been writing for the latest oh. series of Doctor Who, Pete McTie and Sarah Dollard. So whenever I watch an episode now, I'm always like, is it a Doctor Who writer? So I, have we never even said that there's any links between Doctor Who and Neighbours? Because there than, are. Other than like... Me. You find it, <laughs> that and you finding people on it that might like Neighbours. No, because I think I will research this properly for next week because okay. it's just come into my head. I think one of the... In the very first Dalek story, you know, like the th- with Ganatus and the Thals. Yeah. I think one of the Thals was in Neighbours for a bit what? and went out with Helen Daniels. I'm pretty sure there is a link there. So he's been on set and been there with William Hartnell. And then he's been on set with Helen Daniels from Neighbours. I mean, what a career. He's met those two people <laughs> in real life. Oh, my I gosh. Mean, I want that job. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, yeah, all for it. But it's Warrior's Gate this time. Have you literally just finished watching? So I did episode one last night, which I really enjoyed, but it was late. And I was like, and I thought I started episode two and I thought I got further along than I had. But I stopped because I thought it's late. I need to go to bed. So I started watching two today, and then Britbox just would not play between two and three for ages. So I had to oh, just okay. So that was a faff. Classic Britbox just wouldn't play. Uh, but got it working. Then watched three and four. It went so quick. Yeah, I don't think I've known a Doctor Who story just to go by just like that. It was quick. I really enjoyed the first episode to the point where I was like, I wish I'd started it sooner. So I could have watched the second one. I really did enjoy this, actually. Because it's got a bit of a reputation of being a bit high concept, a bit complicated. Very complicated. But it looks amazing. It look, Yeah, I was going to say, the opening of it is really strong. 
you know, you've got that countdown going on in the background. You get, you see the set. The set looks awesome. You go from that room all the way out down. You go down corridors. It looks awesome. The very beginning is great. It was a different director. The director had a lot of problems on this because he was trying to like push the boundaries a bit and uh, got a bit in trouble. I think for trying to like try and do stuff or make it more filmic. Like, and I don't think he directed before as well so he got a lot of stick but i think it's worth it for what you actually get it looks great and i think particularly as a lot of this is just empty void as we know sat here in it and <laughs> it still feels though like doctor who yeah it well it fits with this season as well it just carries on it's really that sciency like, but it's more like fantasy, and we haven't really had fantasy. It's like sci-fi fantasy. I, I yeah, I think that's fair. I, it was complicated. I'm not 100% sure I understand what's happening. Well, before we get right into the story, I've got some things to read out again, because it's fascinating. I mean, we'll, we will hear from Lala Ward in a bit, because I've got an interview with her. <laughs> no. <laughs> but I just wanted to read a bit more from Matthew Waterhouse's okay. book about this bit. Which bit's this, sorry? This is about this story. All right. On this story. So this is what he says. After a fortnight's break, what might laughably be called the team gathered to start work on Warrior's Gate by Stephen Gallagher. This was the most ambitiously impenetrable script the series had ever commissioned and the first from a published writer of serious science fiction. Not a single participant in the production really understood Warrior's Gate though Matthew thought it was brilliant. Um, I'm sort of paraphrasing a bit here, but I'm going to carry on. The director of Warrior's Gate was a man called Paul Joyce. He was remarkably nice. He was far too nice to, to direct Doctor Who. On the first day of full rehearsal, after the read-through, before work started, Lulla Ward went up to Paul Joyce. I need to take Thursday morning off, she said. I have an engagement. I can't promise that, said Paul, mustering his pallid version of firmness you may well be scheduled to rehearse i can't give everyone time off just because they want it lala smiled her most radiant smile if you could i would be extremely grateful paul ignored this and looked down at his script the smile vanished from lala ward's face she said to matthew in a perfect stage whisper i'm bloody well not coming in that morning whatever that bloody man says she didn't thus was the director instructed by his cast if lala ward was going to do whatever she bloody well wanted to do it can be imagined that Tom was going to do whatever he bloody well wanted to do to the ninth degree. Paul allowed Tom to walk all over him. He was terribly frightened of him and Tom picked up the fear like a stalking cat. <laughs> so tension is still going on on this. I can imagine that. Here's another bit. It's more about Lulla Ward as well in this. Um, Lulla Ward had been polite enough to Matthew but never particularly friendly to him. She had no reason to be. On the second day of rehearsals for Warrior's Gate, this suddenly changed. Usually the read-through table was folded up and put away after the first morning, but Paul had left it out under the huge window just to the right of the piano. Matthew sat on a chair at the edge of it, Lala right next to him. She fiddled with her crocheting. She chatted to him often. It was always about Tom. That awful man, she said in a quiet rage, dreadful man. Remarks like this occurred throughout the day in between dives of her crochet needle. Matthew was emotionally illiterate and did not know what to say to Lala or what he was expected to say. Should he make grunting noises of agreement? Was he supposed to defend Tom in some way? Probably he was expected to say nothing, just be 
the wailing wall of which Lala's misery could bounce. He began to develop a suspicion that Lala and Tom had a fling at some time, but it was not clear to him how serious it had been, and there was no evidence that it was still going on. So he sat there listening to this stuff for the first for the first day, and then another, and then a third. He felt uncomfortable, but he liked the fact that Lala was showing interest in him. Actually, she wasn't, but because she was talking to him, it felt like she was. When he tried to make what he thought were supportive remarks, he made the wrong ones. Dreadful man, L- Lala whined. Was he always so horrid? asked Matthew. What do you mean? she asked, eyes wide, offended, even rather shocked. He wasn't horrid, not last season. He was wonderful. Anyway, it just goes on and on like that. How so weird. It's still, like, it's still going on. So what's going on between them? And then, well, obviously, the big thing here, this is Romanda's last story as well. So was that a planned thing? Or was it just because tensions were so bad they were like, let's get her out? I think it was this new producer that was trying to bring in a few changes and he didn't like everyone being, like like we said at the beginning, like everyone's really smart. You've got Time Lady, Time Lord and K9. Yeah, yeah. Which doesn't really make sense because Adric is, a, is like a genius as well. Yeah, but so, I feel he's a little bit more, he's going to be, it's like a new world. He's a little younger, probably more the age of some of the people watching. Well, I'll, um, I'll read Lala Ward's bit at the end of this. So um, we'll go through gosh. the story. But yeah, it starts off. When did they get married then? Uh, a few months later after this, right. after she's left. Right. <laughs> that is nuts. But yeah, I've never really understood fully the story. But that part one, if we just talk about part one, yeah, that went by so quickly. And you've got so many great images. You've got that white void. You've got, they're in the TARDIS. And then Birok the Tharil comes in. That was a really good moment with the time winds and everything like that. That was epic. And there was a lot of really strong moments. I think the costumes look great. There's nothing really weak here. Because with the set as well, that spaceship, when you're looking around, I mean, obviously you can see studio lights, but it doesn't really matter because it's that type of industrial thing and it's all on the different levels it's, it feels like it's actually physically built and they're going up and, and they uses the levels really well yeah yeah i think like that for me it's that opening shot that opening shot where you've got that 60 second countdown really sets up like the whole thing it sets up the drama i was like why is your count what is going on and i also really enjoyed the sort of light relief of those two guys I knew you'd like them. I knew you'd like them. <laughs> I don't know why, but I just knew you were going to mention them. Yeah, because they're just like the sort of uh, audience. Who does it remind me of? I can't remember of? what it's called. They reminded me of the Nose Couple. Oh, okay. In like, not in like Leo a romantic way, but sort of like they sort of became these sort of, they're seeing it all and they're, kind of, they're in it, but they're not in it. They're, they're conversations that they share that we hear are sort of this like, outside they're at it again i don't know it just sort of reminded me of that a little bit because otherwise it's just that one guy who i messaged you about whose name's already escaped my head do you mean the captain yeah well i was gonna say there's always a dick captain we haven't had a dick captain for a long time actually so we're due one whole character was really one-dimensional from the start i mean like you know he's pointing i was thinking like you're not going to shoot him anyway because then you're never going to get an answer. You're so desperate. 
And he was just so one-dimensional the whole time, just shouting, barking orders, and grumpy. There was no, like, tone to him. There was no, like, up or down. It was just this one thing. At least some of the others, they'd, like, question They'd wonder. Like, there was, you know, he was just, it was so irritating. Whenever he talked, especially, like, episode three, by episode three and four, I was really fed up with them. Well, yeah, I like how there is that humour with the crew because there's some lines in there. They're like, yeah, I think that's the button that I've got. I don't know. They just, they don't really care. They've been there a long time. But that's the kind of crew and the the way that this is written. It is fun and accessible. If you think about all those blonde wig people from Megalos, which I really hated, it, it could have gone that way. And I just like how they're just in normal boiler suits they're relatable. They're all fed up. They just want to have lunch. <laughs> and apart from this captain who's like, come on, guy. Like it's he's got like the worst crew ever. It's perfect. It just really fits. But I kind of felt like he didn't have the worst crew ever. He would just bark these things that like at one point one of them goes to this is in the fourth one. He's like, it could be this. I'll go and look. He's like, when do you take your own orders? I was like, oh, shut up. And then and there was nothing about it that made me feel. He deserves, and, and the whole point, I mean, they're, they're slave traders, ultimately, aren't they? That, that is ultimately what they are. So there's nothing redeeming about what they're doing or about their character anyway, but I think it would have worked better if there was a reason for him just to be barking orders. Is it that, like, they've been out there and he's worried? Or, I don't know, I found him just really boring. I think he's designed like that because he is that, we've got to get back, this is the precious cargo we need to make the money we've just got to do it like the dickhead captain in the robots one where they were mining for me he was the weakest part of this story and it wasn't his acting i think it was just the right maybe it was a bit his acting he maybe could have chosen some more moments but i think the writing really let it down here for him as a character well there's so much going on in this it was just it could have been really interesting well, I think the threat is his stupidity of not knowing because they're going to like blast the ship and put everyone in danger and stuff. I think it's that. It's that desperation. But even as, but equally, he was so barking and shouty. I can't, and they've been stuck there for months. It sort of indicated they've been there for a long time. If I was on that crew, but like, no offense, mate, but you've not done anything so far. Well, like, no one's really standing up to him. They're just like, whatever. Well, the doctor goes off quite a early on on his own and he is on his own for quite a bit so you leave Adric and Romana in the TARDIS together for quite a long time <laughs> you know what as well it's so obvious that she hates him I feel I like it's it so obvious she hates him compared to how she feels with the Doctor it is, and that is such a letdown of a, of her character actually that's kind of it felt so out of character for how much she hates him that I just, yeah, it was really hard to buy into. Yeah, it let down them. all of this character that's been developed and built, but in the last like two weeks, really, she's just been really mean to this kid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. You do feel sorry for him, don't yeah. you? Yeah, <laughs> she's just always mean and barking things and... I mean, the ironic thing is, if we're, like, breaking it down, all right, he's stowed away, but so is she. She's a stowaway. She was supposed to go back to Gallifrey, and she knew she was, and she didn't. She decided to stay. So 
she's just as much of a stowaway as he's become. And she's so, it's just, I found it really frustrating that, you know, we've really built up who this character is, her intelligence, you know, her charm, all that sort of stuff. And then she's just basically an arsehole to this kid that's on the ship. It's like, it's such, because that's all I think of now, like, and I'm sure over time that will change and I'll remember the whole character. But as it stands, I'm just like, she was just a bit like he always went and saved her as well. Like she was just a bit rude and off with this kid. I know. I shouldn't have told. Well, I should have told you all the behind the scenes stuff as well. That doesn't help, does it? No, it's like Polly all over again. But it's <laughs> so obvious. It's so obvious. Like you saying that they were even talking, you can't even see it in that because it is. She's just so snappy and short of him. She never looks at him properly, and if she does, she's like very intimidating with it. It's just. It's just really obvious you can't miss it i think she's a bit funny when because when the guys from the ship come to the tardis and she goes outside and talks to them she's sort of taking that doctor role in a way but she's doing it in a bit of a weird like i feel like she's doing it like the doctor would rather than how romana would it feels like it's very like authoritative and very but that's how the doctor plays it. Whenever he's like, he's always like, oh, well, you know, as if like he's always been there. And she's kind of doing the same. But I feel that's a little bit her character is just to imitate the doctor. Because we've said before, sometimes she's been so much like the doctor, there's almost been no need for the doctor. And that's an insane position to have for a show. So she goes off with them, basically. and But then meanwhile, the doctor founds the, the gateway thing. That's set that they've actually built. Is a really nice doorway. Yeah, it's yeah, it looks awesome. And then you're going into this medieval set out of nowhere, which is really good. And then you've got those Gundan robot things. I so yeah, loved one, all that set. I loved how the set was done. It, everything felt just really odd, and I loved that. I loved that it went from, like, the ship and the TARDIS, the white, this old castle. Like, everything about it just felt odd and different and weird, and I loved that. I loved how they built that and set that. I did start to lose the plot a little bit, and I always have. I don't think I've ever fully understood it. But what I understand is you've got the Therils, and they are, like, time-sensitive people. So so the ship people have, like, captured them and are using them as, like, navigators and stuff because that's when they try and use Romana as well because she's, like, time, time lordy and stuff. Then the robots start talking about this history of the robots were created because there was this race that was like really horrible and like pillaging or whatever somewhere. I don't, and that turns out to be the Tharals. And so you see them sort of a bit like baddies later on. But then they read. I don't, uh, but I don't get the mirror stuff and why it was a medieval, why they're all having a medieval banquet and who, what were they were trying to do? I think <laughs> he says at the start, it's your, I'm your, this is your past, present, and future or something like that, doesn't he? And I think it's supposed to indicate that there's no, like, real time. It's not like he's gone back in time as such, but he can't, I guess for the sake of it, he has. He's gone back to, he goes through the mirror and he's part of the, the early times, so part of the start of, and they're, like, flourishing, and you know, and then the humans build the robots. So mean to that slave. And it's almost like they banish him back to, the current so that, and that and we see that like obviously the robots took over and destroyed 
what had happened. That, again, we don't get the full details, but we know enough to see them come in and attack, don't we? But then I don't get where they are when they're walking through the black and white photograph land. I, I think that they're supposed to be... Like, I don't think there is time. I think that's the point. So they're in a time. I can't say, like, is it is it before this or after that? I, it could even be the future because they come back and he goes, you were right, we were wrong, we misbehaved, we've used our power or something, doesn't he? And then uh, they, I don't think time exists. I think that's the point. They can be in any time. So I guess going back allows them to show the Doctor their power and who they were. So he understands that. And then, but then everything else is either the present or, well, whatever the present or future. But I just feel like there's no time. Time does not exist. They can be in different places. Because I thought initially that you've got the white void and that's like the gateway between the different e-space and not. And this is like, and they've got caught up in it. But they must have been there on purpose because they're capturing all the, they're the slave traders for it, aren't they? So they must have been there on purpose, then just got stuck somehow or lost their way. But then I'm like, how are they? Where are they getting? Where are they capturing these guys from? If they can just run off behind a mirror and stuff. But, but they don't say, know. don't they? That's why they have those dwarf planet things because that stops them. That's what the handcuffs were. Oh yeah, it stops them disappearing. Oh, okay, and that's okay. the dwarf plant. That's why you said they're saying what mass would have been. It's uh, they've got that, and that stops them moving and escaping. So when they're free of that, they can like, I guess it's kind of like hunting. Once you've got it in a cage, you've got it. But if it's just like out until you capture it, it's not. So they must have been there. Over time, managed to capture these things for however long, but now they can't get out. I don't know. Someone will tell us otherwise, but yeah, it was just the mirror bit. It was just that bit, and then when they go, then there's like the banquet, and then they go back in time and forth and stuff. I was just a bit like, I don't know what this actually means. It looks cool, great atmosphere. I don't exactly, I, and I feel the same. I just feel like within this place, time does not exist, and I also feel that maybe they in their previous had abused their own power, been able to travel between. And that's why they had all that, all that stuff. And and because maybe they were seen and that's why they were discovered. Maybe that the whole point is to just be the gatekeepers of this middle zone. I don't know. Cause there is quite a lot, a lot of that explanation in part two when the robots are doing that. And obviously you've got, they're running around with axes and stuff, but whatever. I really like the end of, um, part two when Romana's there and you've got the point of view shot of the because these things have been like electrocuted and stuff um that end like we don't really get we haven't really had a massive scream from Romana like that for a long time but the way it's shot as well that point of view which you up on the on the scaffolding as well that's the kind of where actually this director is actually doing really well because you would not really get that in normally yeah, also, I mean, that set, it it feels very Doctor Who. It feels like, of course, but then you learn it's contracting and that's why they're getting closer. Yeah, I agree. There's some really good shots in this. And K9 gets to do quite a bit as well. Yeah, in what I presume is his final outing. They have to get rid of K9 somehow. Well, she's taken him. I did not expect that they would be leaving. 
Ah, oh, because I wasn't sure, because in part one, she says to Adric um, something like, oh, what if I didn't come with you or something? There was a line, and I thought, I wondered if you picked up on that or not. Yeah, but I also felt that it was more about, I didn't see her leaving. I thought it was more around them taking him to another world. And and also, I felt that that was just to set up the drama of, like, they didn't know where they were and what if they were stuck. I thought it was more to do with that than her choosing not to stay with them. Right. It was a quite a quick ending, though, wasn't it? By the way, I'm not coming with you. <laughs> she was probably, like, happy to go, I think, probably. We've made it. Quick, quick, inside. What's the matter? I'm not coming with you. Inside, that's an order! No more orders, Doctor. Goodbye. What? Well, what a moment to choose! But it is, isn't it? A moment to choose. I've got to be my own Romana. And we need a Time Lord. Goodbye, Doctor. No, 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 wait, wait, there's something else. K9, it'll be all right with you behind the mirrors. I'll take care of him. I'll miss you. You said it was like, so I, I wonder whether it was her choice or not. Um, I don't think it was. I think... Just looking through this interview, I think she wanted to only do one year and then she ended up doing two anyway. So I don't think she was bothered either way. I don't think she really cared <laughs> either way. But I think it's for Romana. If we talk about, if we let Lola Ward just, and just talk about Romana, we won't do a Polly again and get them mixed up too much. <laughs> I'll call her Ramona for a bit. That'll... Ramona. It's a good... Because Romana didn't want to go back to Gallifrey. No, and that's been clear for like... At least the three that we've lost, the last three, when she, from when she first got told, you're going. <laughs> then they go through this, and this, this has been, what, three stories? Yeah. So, like, for her to stay in another unit where the Time Lords can't get at her makes perfect sense. And she's got a reason as well. She's helping free slaves and going around and doing that. So it is quite, it was quick, but I think as a, something for her to do. It's not like she's getting married or anything like Leela all of a sudden. If she was like to that Farrell, oh, by the way, we're getting married, now we're going, that would be... <laughs> but no, she's like, I've got work to do. I'm needed here as a time-sensitive person. And he said that, I think that does a time fit. lord. Yeah. So I think that does fit. And she's got K9 as well. So And K9 says about, I've got all the knowledge to build a TARDIS if I want to, sort of thing in the... He, he knows what to do. So she's not on on her own in a weird universe. And equally, thinking back now, they set up that, like, this will restore K9 through the mirror. Like, that was set up in, like, the second episode, I want to say. Oh, yeah, because he gets broken, doesn't he? And they're trying to, like, find the bit to fix him and he's going backwards and stuff. I like the bit where he's... Um... He's like shouting or something, and Romana and Edric are like, "No, just <laughs> and he's like, D -d 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 -d. "Oh, it's great, yeah." It, I mean, K Nine's been in it for like five years or whatever. I know, yeah. He's not had as much to do this season overall, but this was a great going walking around backwards everywhere is a great way to go. But they've all had something to do, and actually, they're all separated at some point. Adric had his bit to do. Adric's just flipping a coin everywhere. Love, what are you talking about? Well, he well he went off on it. I know. Okay, he didn't have that much to do. But... <laughs> He's literally flipping a coin everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's so lost. Do you still enjoy? Do you still like the character? I think it'll get better now. Mm. I think he'll actually have space to be a character. Because that opening scene is the Doctor and Romana. And then Adric is literally just standing in the background doing nothing. He's doing nothing. Just sitting there. And he, I think 
it's so obvious that those two are very set and comfortable in their characters and roles. It's been those two for a long time. I don't think they know how to interact with a third person. And I think for the writers as well, it's been so long since Enzo's had that third companion there. I've, and it's, I really enjoy when he does, when he is involved and what he brings. Um, he's just not had a lot of chance to do it. The do- yeah, it's just that back and forth with the Doctor and Mark, all that stuff in part one in the TARDIS. There's a lot of talk and then Adric's just there like, K9, what are they talking about? Like- <laughs> but again, I think that's been one of, for me at least, and I'm sure with you as well, one of my major um, flaws of the new era of the Doctor and Romana is that they're too similar. And it worked so well when they were doing, tra- looking for the keys of time. That worked really well. And then post this, it's just not worked the same for me. Like we've said, there's been points where it's almost felt like you don't need the Doctor or that they're just completely capable in a way that even the other Romana wasn't as capable. And there's not really um, like a big monster in this. You've got the the Tharrells, but they're sort of goodies. And you, well, you're not sure to begin with. You're like, what is this thing? And the guy that plays the main one, Birok, has been in Doctor Who before, and you won't remember him. Um, but he was in the massacre. Oh my god, that was and- a while ago. <laughs> and he was Stephen's friend, Nicholas. Oh, you know, he loved Nicholas. Nicholas. Oh my god. <laughs> you know, right? The credits came up. And I recognised the name, but I couldn't think why I recognised the name. Like, it wasn't... Like, I googled his name afterwards. I was like, that means nothing to me. That, But it must have been from him being Nicholas. I've sent you a picture of me and him. He he still looks like a Tharrell more than Nicholas. He does look like a Tharrell. <laughs> he does. <laughs> uh, there he is. Uh, <laughs> oh, but no, yeah, they're a good race, actually. They're quite... They're not... There's a lot about them, and there's like a history about yeah. them, and you feel like there's a whole civilization behind them. Although you only see a few of them, and most of them are unconscious or being electrocuted, it's um, the, and they don't really speak that much. No, no, as well. But they've got a presence. Okay, so we haven't really gone through all the story in detail, which would probably be too complicated to go through. I think we'd struggle. Yeah. So, but like overall, you did enjoy this way more than I expected. I'm Considering sure. I didn't understand what was happening, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I wasn't sure how you'd go. You'd either like like it. But I think if it hadn't have been shot in such an interesting way, maybe it would have been more of a struggle. I, yeah, I agree. I think it would have been harder to just like keep up, whereas it just the shooting of it just constantly kept you intrigued as to what was happening and figuring it out. Um Again, though, this is one where I think could have been... So between episode one and two, it took two and a half minutes before the story started again. They're really long. So, I mean, I know 30 seconds, that would have been the intro music, but that is then two minutes of recap. I was... Because I, I literally... I fast-forwarded it because I was like, well, literally, it's not like this. And it started again at two and a half minutes. And I was like, that is insane. Considering that they're like 22-minute episodes... It's crazy. Yeah, it's much shorter than I thought, actually. And I think some of this could have been... I think this could have been another one that was a five. I think it would have given a little bit more time to pad out some of the scenarios. I think what they, I think it worked, though, as a four, but I think it would have just given a little bit more to us understanding time wins and things like that a bit more. There was just no time for anything to be explained. 
You could have gone back and had a whole bit in the that medieval times when it was all and seen the robots being made and whoever decided to do that and all of that stuff. You could have seen a bit more of that and had the Doctor doing that while the others were, I don't know, being captured or yeah, I agree. Cedric hiding underneath the the gold thing, <laughs> the, the gold thing. trolley thing. <laughs> yeah, and there was a lot of I couldn't understand. You know, why were they taking that out? And then, yeah, there was a lot of things like that. I just didn't. That was like their gun thing. I thought they were trying, taking it to try and blast through the mirror because they didn't really understand what was going on, I think. I think. Oh, That's poor, what I mean. There's a lot of just... poor guy who had to walk around with that big thing on it, that big box thing on his chest, like the biggest prop ever. <laughs> the mass detector or whatever it was. But, yeah, I think this could have been... If it was five it probably would have just padded and explained some bits a bit more. But equally, it worked, and the shooting of it really kept me engaged. I just really did not enjoy that Captain Guy. I just felt a bit fresher as well, because we've had like a couple where they're just all in the forest and stuff, and they're being quite dark. This was just a nice... Visually, it looked different. As part of this trilogy of eSpace trilogy, it felt like there was a different universe it's interesting because we in the past we used to talk about is this a future, is this a past, or is this another sideways? And this was definitely a sideways. And I think it was needed at this point. This really felt like a different season. This is where it really is. Comp- I mean, it's different to even how it started off. I think last week was the first time I was like, this feels different, but this really does. This really feels like we're in a different season, in a different headspace as well. I mean, it, you wouldn't get this... In the previous season, and even the way it's acted as well, everyone's so much. There's no one's sending it up. No one's an over the top. I mean, okay, that captain guy. He's his last bit was like, "You're not going to stop me" or whatever he said. Yeah, he was a little bit like baddie then. There's but... a tiny little bit there, but apart from that, they're quite down to earth characters. Yeah, I agree. I agree, and it seems to it works. It feels. The drama, it helps the drama of it. Well, supposedly we're back out out of eSpace now, taking Adric, Adric staying around because you weren't sure, you thought he might only be just in eSpace. Yeah, yeah. I genuinely didn't know. I wondered whether he'd even make it through eSpace. He's going back into our universe, so... I did enjoy the whole eSpace thing, though. Yeah, it was a good idea to have that, yeah. It sort of opened up the possibilities of other things, and that was quite cool. We love a quest, don't we? So. Yeah, we do love a quest. It just I think when you've got seasons like this, it just gives something to hook into. That's what I missed last season, that yeah. sort of everything was just episodic. And, okay, well, it was cool. There were some good ones. But, yeah, this I, I, did, I have enjoyed this, even though it's been quite short. It was, what, only three stories? Yeah, it was only the three. And yeah, and no, and Romana's been around for a while, good like two and a half years. So, well, if we count the first Romana, <laughs> you know, twelve the years, same character. two and a half years. I thought you said twelve. I was like, <laughs> it oh. might feel like that, but <laughs> no, that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it, it's felt like a good chunk of at least that idea of a character. Well, you'll be pleased to know there's many audios with Romana. Um, there's a couple of audios of her in. In eSpace, doing various things with... Well, there's there was two CDs she did in the 90s, but they didn't have copyright for Romana. Right. But they did for K9, so it's called The Mistress and K9. They're quite oh, good. They should have been Ramona. <laughs> Ramona, yeah. That's what they should have called her. And then in a, in a lot of the audios as well, 
Well, in the book, she, basically what happens to Romana is she does get out of East Space again. She ends up being president of Gallifrey. Oh. And there's a whole, this Gallifrey series, the one that Leela ended up in. Yeah. Basically, so Romana is president of Gallifrey and Leela sort of works for her and they is like her bodyguard and stuff. So there's this whole series, there's like tons and tons of series of Romana and Leela on Gallifrey together. And they've both got a canine each as well. Of course. So- <laughs> and like, what's funny about that is considering how much she didn't want to go back to Gallifrey, she's now the president. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how she becomes president, but she does. She's in president in all of the audios from now on, um, and she, yeah, she's brilliant. She's really, really good. Um, and they did. Maybe she was like, her. "I'll only come back if I'm the president," and they're like, "Fine." You know. <laughs> but that actually, her acting with her and Louise James and Leela, there's some brilliant stories with those two. She's. I mean, she's a bit of a tougher Romana in the president. She's going around shouting at everyone and stuff, but it's it's still really, really good. So um, I do recommend that to everybody, the continuing adventures of Romana. What did the doctor say at the end? You were the noblest Romana of them all! We'll read you some of what Lala Ward had to say. Lala! <laughs> From Doctor Who magazine. Lala, that's hilarious. <laughs> um, so this is what she was saying about Matthew Waterhouse. Uh, I feel like this is right to reply from Lola Ward. <laughs> uh, what's it say? Okay, okay. Matthew Waterhouse played Adric in three of Lala's serials. He has something of a reputation for being unpopular with his co-stars. He was a little brat, actually, Lala frowns. He threw his weight around because he thought playing a so-called second leadish type part in Doctor Who was a big thing to have got. Therefore, he must be wonderful. Well, he wasn't. He was obnoxious. He was rude to people like wardrobe mistresses and makeup girls. And I can't be doing that with that from anybody. I can't bear it. I mean, why do it? Especially when you're a new boy, you don't behave like that. On top of that, God knows he had no cause to behave in that way because he couldn't act his way out of a cardboard box. (laughs) You may have guessed by now that there wasn't much in the way of love lost for Matthew Waterhouse. The first story that the young star recorded was State of Decay, on which Lala recalls he was rather discourteous to a costume designer. I thought she was a a terrific designer. The production design for that was positively operatic, don't you think? It was wonderful. Well, she asked Matthew to get into ordinary clothes to go to the canteen because she didn't want him to get food on his costume, which was a perfectly sensible thing to ask. And he was being very stroppy about it and refused to take his costume off. I finally just snapped. I grabbed him by the collar. I said, don't you ever talk to anyone like that and certainly not to somebody who's telling you something that's good to learn. I was appalled. I'm sorry, but you cannot talk to people like that. So that's Lala's side of the story and she says about Tom Baker as well um, Lala is often asked about Tom Baker she was even married to him once does she mind being asked about Tom well I suppose it's going to happen she sighs because people are interested it would appear I can't imagine why no I don't mind being asked about Tom I haven't seen him since 1981 not once neither by accident or design well possibly by design on his part not on my part particularly I loved working with Tom. He's immensely demanding and a perfectionist and difficult and all of those things that I think went in to make those stories a hell of a lot better than they would otherwise have been. It keeps you on your toes and makes you struggle hard to do the best you can. That's the sort of person I like working with. And then she, later on she was, says um, about, and then they said about him being like difficult and stuff. 
and she says, I did say to him, do you have to be this unpleasant? It's a fairly fine line between being energetically demanding in a way that's positive and being aggressive in a way that's not at all positive. The people who came in for just one story, who didn't know that way of working, must have had a peculiar time. God knows I did on occasion when he wasn't speaking to me. It's very difficult working with an actor who insists on looking over your shoulder instead of into your eyes. He did all that sort of stuff. It's awfully silly and childish, but I think one will forgive Tom an awful lot on Doctor Who for the fact that he made it special. That's so weird because, like, I don't, I just don't think that's professional. I don't think that's, oh, that brings out the best in you. It's just not professional. You have to, like, and that's a really interesting, I think that's some of her own um, feelings mixed in there of the person rather than the professional. Because that's, it's just not professional to act like that. And she's like, oh gosh, they must have thought it was all very strange. Well, it is. It's not, it's not professional. That's not equally. I kind of think, how old would he have been when he got this part? Like, probably a babe. He probably did think he was a. I've heard some interesting stories about um, uh, Kuti Gatwa, actually. Kuti Gatwa, really? Yeah, on sex education. Yeah. Really? And some, yeah. And some of his like diva like behavior. So I would say that no one is like, but also he's very young. He's suddenly become very big, got really big parts. I mean, you know, he's going to be in Barbie and stuff like that. And this was more season two stuff than season one. So now sex education is quite a big thing. And I've heard a few, like, from people that have been extras in it, that people have worked in production on it, things like that. So not loads. Generally, the vibe's quite good. But there are these odd stories. And they're going to exist because, you know. But what I'm saying is... I can kind of forgive that a little bit more. And actually it is the it's kind of the role of old directors be like to put people in their place a little bit and be like, shut the fuck up. Like, <laughs> who do you think you are? Don't do that. But I think that's just the nature of young actors in things. Yeah, I mean, from his book, it feels like he wasn't really sure of stuff and how to behave and what to do. But then nobody was helping him, or if everyone's just if you're walking into like the toxic Lola Ward Tom Baker show. Yeah. <laughs> like how you do feel sorry for Matthew Waterhouse a little bit there with that. So like if you talk to a lot, I think some of that just comes down to um, Tom Baker and I don't think anyone like he's the star and lead of that show. And what's in he needs to educate people, but equally if you're getting someone who's very up and down and temperamental, how are you supposed to, like that's what you pick up on and respond to because you think that's how things work. And yeah, I I think that's a very interesting statement from her of, I don't think that's professional. I don't think that like someone having that up and down behavior and character is good. I don't think it makes for good acting because I think it just makes for an unstable environment that you've got to adapt to constantly. <laughs> Would you put Lala Ward... Worse or better than uh, Annika Wills? Oh, no, Annika Wills is worse. Annika Wills is by far worse. <laughs> I think for her, some of it, I feel, is just mixed up with her own time. When, like, you can look back on a time and be like, that's what that time was. And it's mixed with your own feelings and emotions. And then things can end and it can be very different afterwards. And that then you see that as a different thing to what that time, the golden time was. Like, So, no, I don't. Begrudge, but it's so obvious, like her own 
feeling and hatred of him as a character. And we'll see. Like, I think I think what he brings currently, and that might change because we've not actually seen a lot of him. Like, he's not had a lot to do the last few stories. I think what we've seen so far is this, like, young character, this sort of enthusiasm of youth that youth brings um, and inquisitive. And I like he's a little bit cheeky. Um, because that's it just reminds me, like I said before, a little bit like Dodo, that sort of young, that spirit of young. Vicky was like that as well. I was thinking Adric is definitely teenager in the same in my mind, in the same way that sort of Susan was. Yeah. I never thought of Vicky as as much Vicky always seemed a bit more sensible. I think Adric and Susan are the youngest we've ever had in terms yeah. of their character. Maybe Dodo was a little was probably the next one along, but still very felt a bit older than, I don't know, he does feel very, very young in the way. But I feel that that's intentional. Mm. I feel that's to sort of reflect the view of the time. Mm. Yeah. And also Clothes Watch, we've not mentioned he's wearing the same clothes. What what do you think of his outfit, which is his regular outfit? I mean, they've all changed. They're not even bothered about giving him a wardrobe, are they, at this point? His, they're sort of pyjamas, aren't they? Yeah. Although that was very um, Layla as well. What, the Layla red? Layla only had a few outfit changes. Most of the time she was... Oh, wearing- Leela, sorry. Leela, not Layla. Sorry. sorry, I was thinking um, Romana. <laughs> sorry. Leela, no, um, not Layla. Leela didn't know. Yeah, Leela had her regular thing, but that was her... I suppose she was the alien from her tribe, and that's his uniform from his planet i suppose if you see it like that um, well hopefully we'll see some changes yeah we'll see we'll see <laughs> okay well i suppose that wraps up warriors gate then we i mean i know we didn't go through too much in detail but we we hit the big again gossip behind the scenes we hit the big <laughs> moments but we have to yeah there we are that's the big well now lull award's gone there's no more behind the scenes drama so I'm sure there will be. I'll, I'll look through. We'll, we can always find out what Matthew Waterhouse thinks from his book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, it's uh, another four-parter next. It's called The Keeper of Traken. Oh, Keeper of Traken. They're back in end space. That's where they're going, yeah. I think there'll be a tribe. A tribe, okay. We've not really had a tribe, tribe, tribe for a long time. So No, I feel there'll be some sort of like culty tribe. Only because I'm going off the keeper of track and as a sort of okay, um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, uh, well, uh, oh, I need to find as well next week. I'll find out the neighbor stuff and I'll show you the picture of me and Adric as well. Okay, him a few times. He's really yeah. nice, actually. He's really okay. Nice. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at two watch who, and you can support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash two watch who. Thank you for everybody that has bought us a coffee. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And we will see you next week for the Keeper of Traken. Bye. 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 To watch who.